the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number 11, recorded Friday, December 7th, 2012. Parental Advisory. For EdTech, the education-focused podcast and show given to you by the AV Nation. Guys, my name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. With us, as always, is Mr. Scott Tyner from Bates College in the great Northeast. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, Also, further down the coast is Mr. Matthew Silverman from George Mason University. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Uh, And finally, in the real part of California, not the part that's snowing and raining, (laughs) is... Greg Brown from UCLA. How are you, sir? Hello, Tim. Hello, guys. Uh, this month, we're going to talk about uh, Coursera and a couple other places where you can get free education. That's right. I said free. Just don't tell any of us. Um, interactive whiteboards and AV system testing for all of you guys that are getting ready to go into your winter breaks. Uh, this would be a good time to do that. But first and foremost, uh, all four of us here have Crestron systems in some way, shape, or form. Is that a true statement? Somebody correct me on that. Everybody has some mm-hmm. sort of... Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Um, oh, don't call me sir. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got one up and running right now. Well, see, so all of us have one. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think I said this last time. I'm in, the, I'm in the process of doing my first DM system, so I'm slightly frightened and scared and excited all at the same time. As well you should be. By myself, I, I should mention that. Um so this week should be. Yeah, we, we all got the fancy schmancy email from the big guys in Jersey. They have a new program and it's called Crestron Studio. I don't know. <laughs> I've started downloading it. That's how much I know about it. That and in, in downloading it, just like with every other software from every other company, it tells you all the requirements and, oh, yeah, I don't have this version of Toolbox that I need, which is one of their programs that's required, and I have to upgrade my version of Simple. But beyond that, I still haven't gotten – but I have I checked out the, the video and stuff like that. It looks like a cool program. It's supposed to be you know, all-encompassing and everything. Uh, Mr. Brown, Mr. UCLA, what is your first reactions, or do you have any comments or questions about Crestron Studio? Well, let's let, let's start out initially here with a complete digression. Um, speaking of Crestron, I finally have an A plus rep again. Oh, very good. Yes, the 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 Southwest U.S. I'm not quite sure how big of a territory. We now have the the lovely Brenda Brook is our A plus rep here for this area and so after what like a nine month absence i think without a without well we we had our our local sales contact but we didn't have an a plus rep but we we now have an a plus rep back which is which is kind of cool and um as far as crestron studio i i don't know a lot about the crestron programs yet um but I have, a, I have a friend of mine who does independent Crestron programming, mm-hmm. and her comment was, this is the end of Crestron programming as we know it. I, I would and agree so with that. I, I'll, I, I was kind of 
taken back by that. And so I'll kind of like toss that out there and let, let, the, let the two smart guys talk. That, that would not be me. That would be Mr. Silverman <laughs> and Mr. Tyner. So, gentlemen, uh, Scott, we'll start with you on this. Is this the end of Crestron programming as we know it? Um, I, I'm I'm with you, Tim. I haven't I haven't even actually started downloading yet. I've I've watched the video, like I'm sure everybody listening to this has. Um, there's a couple of really interesting things cool I like stuff. about it. Cool yeah. stuff. Check out the video. Follow the link and watch the video. Um, one of the one of the things I like about it is it does seem like everything is kind of packaged into studio. You don't have to go out to Engraver. You don't have to go out to yeah. VT Pro. It's it's all there. One of the really beautiful things I liked from what they wrote is how you can uh, resize touch panels automatically. Because if if anybody out there has done iPad um, touch panels from a, a already built touch panel, it's 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 a disaster. You need to completely kind of go and change all the sizes and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. Here's here's what this this says to me though. And I was talking, uh, I was at for I was in Florida a few weeks ago with with Infocom, and I was talking to somebody there who's well known in the industry, and he was saying that um, programming as we know it is going away. When we can get a Denon app for our receiver, or we can get you know a, an iPad app to control our lights, that this independent programming that people have made businesses of is is in jeopardy. And I think that what I saw when I looked at Crestron is it seems like, wow, that's really easy. And, that, and, and I think that that's what we're going towards. He, what he was saying is that we need to really focus more on um, apps and app development is going to be the big thing. So you know, that's what I look at when I say, oh, is, it, is Crestron programming changing as we know it? I think that it's, it's looking to me like it's just that much easier, that much kind of – that much more you know, um, just click and get it done rather than doing some of the programming that we're used to. Well, and, and Matt, if anyone's ever messed with System Builder, let's <laughs> let's start with that. And that because that's my my first reaction to this yeah. is, is all the the big three, um, Extron and AMX and Crestron, all have some sort of, of you know click and click and program type thing. This is so much <laughs> it, the, from the look of it. Again, haven't haven't physically touched it yet. Uh, so much better than than System Builder because, like Scott said, it's all there. You don't have to click a button. And go into and open up Engraver or open up BT Pro E. So is this kind of the the beginning of the end uh, for programmers? No. So I'll, I'll actually disagree with that. I think it's actually the first move in in, in the right direction, but there's still a lot to come. Um, it, it's interesting, Scott. You, you you mentioned about things getting easy, quick, uh, click and drag. I was actually uh, last week talking to uh, Steve Greenblatt, who's a frequent contributor on the uh, AV Week show. Um, and one of the things we were talking about was that we saw some, sort of a, um, I, I guess, a split in where things were going. That you're more basic, I, I hate to use the word hang and bang, but we're all familiar with that concept, mm -hmm. uh, systems are, are going to go to this click and drag uh, programming. Not necessarily that I think Xtron got it right with configurable control systems, but it's where things are going on the lower end. I think what I see with Crestron Studio is the first move, though, for those of us who do more complex programs, beginning to open up the higher end of programming. Uh, for example, at George Mason, we try to maintain one code uh, set for each 
main switch it's really been for us in our environment. So, for example, we have one code tree for a DM 8x8, one code tree for a DM 16x16. Uh, we're in the process of developing our DMPS 300 code. We may support, um, you know, six, eight, ten configurations off that single code tree. And Crestron Studio is starting to open up this whole Core 3, Series 3 advancements Crestron is doing, which will allow those of us who do more enterprise-level programming, more IT-style development, uh, to really start leveraging some of that new functionality. Um, I know it's we've talked about, I think, on this show a little bit and some of the other shows, uh, Simple uh, Sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is coming down the road and see sharp development is something we're really looking forward to uh, because we're, we're, we're at, we actually want to get to the point where we're doing database connectivity, uh, we're possibly even doing authentication. And this is finally a tool that Crestron put out, which is meant to provide that development environment. So, uh, it, so is, this, sorry, is this more along the lines of Oh, good Lord, what was it, 10, 12 years ago um, at Infocom, the big sign that said Convergence. Is this the kind of the end game for that, where Crestron is saying, okay, you know what, here's all of our chips in the IT slash AV world, um, and let's let's kind of embrace this whole thing instead of this, you know, instead of an ENET control, which in, in the Crestron world, that's that's how you connect to the, to the, uh, to the, to the uh, network. This is, and and all our chips in, we're in the IT and the AV in the world. Is that is that what you're saying, Matt? Um, a little bit. It, it actually reminds me on my my first Crestron training I went to was something back in 2003. And I was up in New Jersey sitting there trying to learn simple. And as I was trying to do some programming, the instructor actually saw the pained look on my face. And... <laughs> he, but it led to a very interesting conversation, which was, well, you're thinking like an IT program. I said, yeah, I've done at that point a little bit of C, a little bit of Pascal, uh, some Visual Basic. And he said, you, you need not to because Simple's designed more like electrical engineering. And it's designed more like making a circuit board and doing signals than object-oriented programming. What I see with this is starting to transition into more of an IT style of programming, which I think will open up, again, on the higher end, make it much easier to add a lot more functionality into these things, bring in additional information systems or building systems or things of that nature, uh, which right now um, doing in Simple or Simple Plus is difficult, if not impossible. Uh, to give you an example, we've parsed XML files um, in our control systems. I am not our programmer, so I don't know what went into this, but I know from talking to our programmer, writing an XML parser was one of the most difficult things he's ever done in Simple Plus. To give you an example, that's kind of like a you know week one training exercise for someone who's doing uh, programming in C Sharp or something like that. Yeah. Wow. All right. And, and for me personally, I, I think it's it's the end of programming as we know it, but I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I yes, think I'll agree with that 100 percent. I do, because it, it, we, we had uh, Fred Bargetzi and a couple of guys from Crestron on on the AV Week show a couple of weeks ago. And um, 
he was talking about the whole, you know, the C sharp thing, the the simple sharp, in other words, the the Crestron programming language, the the one that that really lets you do things is currently called um, Simple Plus, and and what they're moving towards is something called Simple Sharp, which is close to C sharp, and what it allows us to do is, it, it, and I like the electrical uh, circuit board analogy, it allows us as an industry. Uh, granted, this is just one company, but but hopefully others will, will follow suit. It allows us as an industry to to say, you know what? Not only do we have electrical engineers who should feel comfortable in this in this industry, but IT professionals as well, guys who uh, know how to program, you know, in in Pascal or in C plus or in C sharp. They should feel comfortable in this in this industry and should 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 blossom really really quickly instead of having to go to you know. Biamp training and AMX training and Crestron training before they really feel comfortable. Um, they should be able to get their feet wet and then and then you know take off. So, yeah, Tim, I guess one other quick point. I think one of the things that should be said is right now this is a scenario where everyone wins yeah. um, because if you're already an AV programmer, they still are supporting Simple Simple Plus, you know, VT Pro. You you may have to do it slightly differently, but everything you can do today, you can still do today. Um, as Scott mentioned, you know, it makes it easier for those who are doing very simple systems, maybe with a little bit of variation, to do a little bit of drop and drag. Yeah. And anything's better than Systems Builder. And that product just was awful. Um, <laughs> and, and then for the last group, people like, you know, where we are, where we're looking to do advanced functionality – this is the first opening. Yeah. And now over time, I think it may change the equation. But right now, this is, this is I think, really good for our industry. I think after our conversation, I'm going to write my program in both, in both studio and, uh, <laughs> and simple and see which one I like better. So, All right. Uh, let's talk about some displays. Uh, what was it? A couple months ago, Apple came out with the iPad Mini because, you know, they didn't have enough money. Um and it was a smaller device. It was almost Kindle Fire-ish, you know, esque in, in the size. Well, Sharp said, you know what? I don't think people want smaller. I think they want bigger. Uh, they've released a, uh, or they've revealed a 20-inch multi-touch stylus-friendly display, uh, which is funny to me because if you've ever read the uh, the Steve Jobs biography by uh, um, Walter Isaacson. Uh, he hated styluses. He said, "God gave me ten styluses. Why do I need a eleventh one?" So, <laughs> um, so Scott, is this something that is in the whole, you know, bring your own device type thing? Uh, is this just one more thing that we're going to have to worry about, or is this, you know, what um, this is just another display, and and they're going to come and go, just like you know, flavors of ice cream. Well, I, I think it's just I think it's just another display. I I um, I go back and forth on on touch screens on whether we need a stylus or not. Um, so so often that um, it, it's hard for me to, to answer a question like this. I've said before in the show, and I think it's true that um, until you change uh, the interface, there's no point in touching a screen. And so you know until the interface like the iPad is designed for touching why why are we bothering yeah. and it looks like some of the stuff that Microsoft is doing with the surface and um, the new Windows product it, 
they are designing this stuff for touching. So I think we're starting to see that change. But don't give me Windows 7 and want me to touch it to use it because it's, it's not designed for that. All right, Mr. Brown. Uh, is this is it like you know uh, Scott said? Don't give me Windows Seven and, and expect me to touch it. Yeah. Let's see. What was I? What was I saying? Um, on on my on my note sheet here, where I I have the topics listed and I've written down my my little notes of my thoughts as I read through the articles. Here for the sharp, I wrote. Uh, Y A W N. Yawn. I had to spell that out. Y A W. I'm I'm but, I'm sure Scott and Scott and Matt figured it out. But, I thought you were going to uh, come up with some cool acronym like you know. I, I did. You <laughs> are with. I don't know. Nincompoops. Uh, no, you're you're giving me far more credit than I deserve at this hour of the morning. He's in California. You know, they just. It's very early. They surf. It's, they eat avocados, and that's pretty much it. Right. Although the sun has come out, so I think we'll survive another day. Good. Um, no, I mean, and we wonder why Sharp is in trouble. I mean, looking at it from a from a classroom perspective, I I don't really see it. I think. If you want to talk uh, equipment that's going to be brought into the room, I, I think somewhere in the more in the tablet, maybe these convertible laptop, you know, spin the screen around, turn it into a tablet sort of thing mm. are what people are going to bring in. They're not going to bring this, you know, dumb interactive. Well, I, I don't mean that dumb, dumb. I mean, dumb as in like no computer, but yeah. I, I'll draw your own conclusions. Um and as far as installed equipment, I think we're much more likely if we're going to install something, go with like a, a big uh, interactive uh, flat panel monitor or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, I didn't really get this. Although let me let me rabbit trail us again. I got a chance to see the uh, and and stop me if I talked about this. I don't think I've mentioned this, but a few weeks ago I got a chance to see the new Panasonic interactive flat panel monitor and it's you know it it clearly a competitor for like the the sharp and some of the others mm-hmm. out there it's you know great big i don't know whether what it was like 70 inch flat panel monitor and it can do all of the the you know smart board esque features plus you can you can bring up a uh, a, a window and you can uh, you know surf the web on it. All, all of those same features we're seeing in these things um, physically it was a much nicer implementation than the sharp there wasn't stuff stuck on the back it was one nice integrated purpose built monitor but it was getting back to the whole stylus thing it was not touch sensitive at all huh? you had to use the special pen to do anything see and 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 to jump in i i'm with you on there i i don't like pens only which i guess i'm the only one who actually liked the sharp product because the sharp had multi-touch along with the pen yeah. i liked the sharp I like the sharp, but no, well, no, well not, not the sharp monitor. The sharp twenty inch. Oh, this, yeah, this sharp, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right, this okay. Because it it actually fixes the problem I have right now is we we use a decent amount of uh, smart podiums in our classrooms, and those are not touch; those are just pen based. And we've actually been seeing a lot 
of interest in putting we, – we right now only put them in our largest lecture halls. But we've seen a lot of interest in putting them elsewhere because uh, of thinking about distance education. And even with the best camera setup, you know, how do you capture the instructor either pointing at a, uh, pointing at, uh, a screen or a monitor? And if you can encourage them to even just use an annotation overlay on a, um, on, on a panel like this, you can then capture that on your content that gets recorded for, uh, for, you know, for lecture capture and such. So I, I saw a real neat place in this. Now, my big concern is like a lot of Sharp products, it will never make it over here from Japan. <laughs> well, yeah. Or Sharp may not be in business by the time that you yeah. know, it gets released. <laughs> yeah, or, or if you buy them, who's going to support it next year after yeah. they go out of business? They're not going to go out of business. Panasonic will buy them just like they did Sanyo. <laughs> and, that, and, and that went so well for people who signed up for Sanyo products. Well, you could buy Christie's. You know, yes. Sorry, I, well, I the, go ahead. Well, did you hear about the other suitor for Sharp Dell? That that would be oh interesting. seriously, yeah, oh. seriously. Oh, that'd be horrible. I I bought about uh, I have about had about uh, what forty Dell video projectors. Dude. Oh wow! One of uh, had had uh, one of the, one of the stupidest mistakes I've ever made here in my in my my time here. You realize we're recording this, right? <laughs> they, you, what do you think they? You think somebody at Dell actually listens to this? No, I was talking about your boss. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. All right, uh, <laughs> who did they OEM those from? By the way, does anybody know who they OEM those we, from? We always tried to figure out. Um, it was you know they were they were a, a you know a Chinese made. Something. Yeah, but we, they had to be we, somebody, they, didn't they? Yeah, I actually thought they, they, they were well known, like 3M or something. They wow. they weren't completely identical to anything, but they looked very similar to all of the the really really dirt cheap like Optimas and um, the 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 stuff that was coming out at the time. Yeah, okay. I I mentioned Christie as kind of an aside. I I had the chance to to I was helping a friend of mine and. I was looking at the Christie and looking at the at the code. It's the exact same code and the exact same structure as the Sanyo was two years ago. So I don't um, know what they purchased. I think they purchased some of the patents or, or they purchased the no, rights to uh, some. Christie's lower end, their their LX, some of their LX mm -hmm. were actually Sanyo OEM'd for them. Is, well, um, this is this is a current. So this is a one they just brought brand new and obviously. And it may be a. Panasonic OEM yeah. for Christie. It, it, it might be. It might be. <laughs> well, remember the other folks we talked about a few shows ago, the ubiquitous platform division yes. at Hitachi. Well, yeah. Yes. They make a whole lot of people's projectors. Yeah, but their code is weird. So, All right. Um, that's how I, I, know, I know people sometimes. It's like, okay, like, that's your control code for that? All right. It's, okay. Actually, Projector Central, when they find out, they will they will list it on their website who actually makes yes. a projector. Yeah, and that's a, actually a really and, good and resource. And it's a really useful thing to have. Uh, it's a good resource for a couple of things. You could also start looking for, if you have a price point and you have a, a lumens range you're looking for, it's a good resource mm -hmm. for that, too. Mm -hmm. um, next up is from Infocom International slash Brad Grimes slash Matt Silverman. Uh, I've heard of him. It's actually Brad Grimes. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> um, it's on there. This is a tough room today. <laughs> it's a tough room. 
Um, it's uh, it's it's, it's on Infocom's um, website. It's called Designing for High Cro- High Contrast. Easy for me to say. How one university uses Infocom's projected image standard, uh, and it actually is about our buddy Mr. Silverman, uh, who's on. I think it this count twenty different standards <laughs> committees. Um, just, just well, one. I think he's on every committee, isn't he? Yes. Did you? All kidding aside, did, were you on this com- on this standard committee? No, no, I'm actually on the uh, uh, standard steering committee, which is kind of the the overall group, the okay. guidance group for all steering. So you uh, are on every standards committee then. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. Holy, yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, no. So, so, and this came out of um, we were um, we, Infocom actually requires five tests uh, to go to that are done to make sure the standard actually works before we move forward. So I had volunteered to do one test and it was it ended up turning to be a pretty good case study and conversation. Well what's what's interesting to me and, and we'll start with you on this obviously Matt yeah. um, is the fact that you had basically art faculty that said, you know what, some of these projectors aren't exactly cutting it for us. So, mm-hmm. so you, you in uh, you you're crazier than I am. Uh, you said go ahead and find the rooms that you want to use and we'll go from there. Um, and you met, worked with the registrar's office, and basically, when when that faculty wanted a classroom, that was was pinged. Uh, and then you guys took this standard and said, "Well, let's let's be a little more systematic about this. Um, let's do the test." And so, yep. kind of walk us through exactly what the standard is and how you guys went about doing the test. Um, so, basically, the um, the, the standard. Uh, talks about projected image uh, contrast ratio, and it's actually projected image system contrast ratio, so it's not just the projector. It's the how the entire um, system provides contrast ratio. And um, really this goes back, I mean, this goes back as long as I've been at George Mason. Our art, faculty, our art history faculty have just been unhappy with what we can provide. Actually, they were really unhappy that we took slide projectors away. Uh, um, higher ed people all insert your joke about art history faculty here. <laughs> and we were working very closely with the registrar. And rather than us say, you go in here, the registrar actually agreed that, hey, they can they can pick and designate some rooms as I think they ended up calling them like high quality, which means very little, but that's how they ended up getting coded. Um, and what we were finding as we were working with them is contrast was really the driver. That's what they cared about. Uh, so as I mentioned, we had done a test uh, just of one of our typical rooms and we had found that it was something providing like a contrast ratio of like seven to one or eight to one, somewhere in that range, which by the standard and we're shooting for what's called the basic decision-making area should be 15 to one. So obviously we weren't quite cutting it. And what we've been trying to do is make the decisions more about um, quantitative data rather than you know su- subjective data and someone just uh, just saying that room looks good. So yeah. we actually um, are working right now on an update to our facilities guidelines and we are putting into our facilities construction manual a requirement that, any new classroom after this manual is published 
achieves a 15 to 1 contrast ratio as man, uh, measured by ANSI and FOCOM uh, 3M 2001. Oh, wow. Um, now, here's the real trick for all of us who are in this. You're not going to fix this with a brighter projector. Unless you're moving up to a 10 or a 15,000 lumen projector, what you really need to look at is controlling your light at, uh, at the screen location. So it's kind of funny that this is actually almost not an all. Design problem. However, until we were able to quantify it and give a measurement, our facility staff was not willing to even have this conversation. So we're, we're really happy that this is going to make it into the construction manual. Well, yeah, and the other I was going to ask you, and you, you yeah. kind of mentioned it, um, isn't some of this, you know, because you, you did do away with the, the, the kind of the subjective where a guy walks into the room and goes, oh, yeah, that looks good. Because mm -hmm. depending on the time of day and where the lights are, where the, where the, uh, the windows are and the shades are up, the shades are down, you know, that's not really going to be real consistent. But you at least, you know, you mentioned the fact that it had to be at the, at the screen. Um, do you guys think, uh, and anybody can answer this, do you guys think that, that in addition to controlling the lights, are any of these contrast uh, screens, whether it's Daylight or, or Stewart or, or Draper, would any of these help increase that that high, that contrast rating, or is it really about controlling the lighting? <laughs> I let Greg answer that question. Greg, ooh, I don't. You know, I haven't played much with those screens race recently. I mean, I've got some some of the gray screens that were the the big thing there back about ten years ago, but I haven't done any of that recently. Um, I've just generally tried to buy brighter projectors. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Uh, yeah. You know what I really uh, – jump ahead. in – that I like about this standard, it's one of the reasons I want to talk about today is that we are looking at a system contrast ratio besides – beyond the projector contrast right. ratio. Um, right. And I think it's interesting because it also ties into one of the other topics we're going to talk today um, about the testing of a, of a room when you're done, which is I think that one of the things that – a lot of us have got into is this put the room together make sure the projector square on the screen and hit the road mm -hmm, and yeah. you know are we really tuning these rooms right are we doing any color management be you know what matt has talked about here is the you know contrast ratio are we doing any color management at all on these projectors um are we really you know we've been through uh, like like matt has time and time again to we're in a place now where, where our facilities groups talks to us about an AV install and budgets for it, but they don't talk to us about the room environment yeah. and you know the, the shades that you need in the room, the lights you need in the room, where you need them, are they zoned? And so that's really where this struck me is it really gives a um, you know, kind of that official piece of paper. You know, here's a um, you know, certified standard and we can start talking with people about this and it, it means something. Well, it's it's a mark that you can go to that says you know you either met this or didn't. Just like uh, just like SPL, you know, you want the SPL to reach so much, you know, plus or minus three dB over the course of the over the, the the space in the room. It gives you a number to go back to and say, yes, Mr. Installer, whether that's internally or externally, this room is is satisfactory. Right. Well, now, Matt, I think it mentioned in the article, but I did have a question. It it's it, when I read the article, it sounded as though this also isn't a terribly time-consuming thing to do in a room. It's The first test, I'd say, took us about an hour. 
Um, and it, it's 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 basically a test procedure where you have to take tests from five different positions in the room and then work it all out. I had actually built a uh, Excel sheet for our technician who did the test, so he didn't have to do any math. He just put the data in, and it it, it basically did it all itself. Um, it, it's not terribly time-consuming, plus if you actually get people trained in how to do it, I'd say you could probably knock this out in about 30 minutes per room. Um, the other piece of it is you do need to buy um, a measurement tool, and it, again, that wasn't even too terribly expensive. I think it was about $800, but you know, having one for the university wasn't too bad. It's not like you need a $10,000 tool. That's There's an app for that, isn't there? there, there that's half my budget <laughs> actually, for the app. Are you kidding me? Actually, no. There was absolutely not an app for this. <laughs> um, but what, what I was going to dollars? What are what are you buying? Um, I thought I, I'm I'm kind of blanking on the name of the tool right now, which is why I've been stalling. Um, <laughs> quick, quick, Google it while I complain uh, about eight hundred yes. bucks. <laughs> um, we'll, but, we'll fill. Uh, but the other thing I did want to bring up, and uh, Tim, I'll send, send you a link so you can put this in the show notes, okay. is that uh, Greg Jeffries, who's the um, current president of Infocom, and he's also now the moderator of a um, one of the standards groups on display image size, which you should be co seeing coming pretty soon, has put together some great uh, downloadable calculators and kind of some white papers explaining all this about contrast. Uh, from his company's website. And it's one of the things that you, someone had mentioned earlier on, um, it, you know, uh, earlier on, is that, you know, what about, you know, your screen? Does that matter? And the answer is it does. But if you look at how, if you do the math, the, 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 the thing which will give you the most bang for buck is going to be controlling your, your lighting levels at screen location. It really is lighting you, levels. I mean, your your four variables roughly are your screen material, your screen size, uh, your projector brightness, and then your lighting levels at screen. And so as you start playing with those, you can actually use the calculators Greg has put together. There's Excel uh, things to figure out where you're going to get your bang for buck. And for where we've really looked at, you'll you'll see the most gain uh, from working on lighting levels. Very cool. And so what you're saying is a good pellet gun should accompany <laughs> all uh, installs. I didn't say that, but it doesn't hurt. And, and of course, you know that it's the one thing that is furthest out of our yes. control. Oh, yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And, and I did remember the name of the tool. Now, what you're looking at is a luminance meter, so you can measure. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's not an illuminance meter, which right. it's not a light yeah. meter. It's it's yes. It's a luminance meter. <laughs> All right, right. You are listening to EdTech with Matt Silverman, Scott Tyner, and Mr. UCLA. Go Bruins! Greg Brown. Um, a couple of different stories here, kind of all in one. The, the story that we're kicking off with, though, is the fact that interactive whiteboards are up 22% year to year. Um, <sighs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Scott, is this a surprise? And who the frick is buying these things? <laughs> Well, I'm I'm actually um, don't tell me you. Oh gosh, it is. Oh <laughs> no, wait a minute. What, what's all this song? How the heck is up? Bates College propping this up twenty two percent? 
Well, here, I don't think we actually haven't bought one yet. <laughs> it's it's a Maine I, thing, I guess. We, yeah. <laughs> we we like touching things in Maine. I um. <laughs> I. We're just going to need a parental advisory on all of our shows I'm from now on. I'm just take off the clean rating. Um, I've mentioned on the show for we've tried symposiums. They haven't taken off. But now we're looking at these these boards for our smaller rooms. You know, we have classrooms here. Um, you know, we're not one of these gigantic universities. So we have classrooms here that have, you know, 14, 15 to 20 students in them. And so we're thinking if you were to take an interactive touch panel uh, – uh, monitor and put it up on the room, a 70 inch or so, and the professor can now not be behind a podium, but can be standing in front of the room. There's no light shining in their face, and interact with this panel. And again, with software that's designed for it, our hope, you know, with with Windows 8 and the like, is that software is designed for it. You know, maybe that will work. And so I'm really curious to hear your your experiences. I think are going to tell me it hasn't worked where you are. Well, in the, the I guess my my thing is is the definition of of interactive whiteboard. Let's let's start there. I've got two different. Uh, what you're talking about is an all encompassing, all one unit, and the experience that I have is the, the the device itself, the physical piece is separated. There's a projector that's projecting an image, and all this is tied in together through the PC. So that's my experience, and that to me has been very very clunky. Um, at least ditto. again, my own my own personal experience. Greg, is it is that yours as well? Ditto, yeah, the, the clunky, and we have a very hard time getting. Uh, you, you you get an instructor who wants to use them, and you can't get them into a room that has one. That that's our problem. You know, so we, me... we 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 literally would have to roll out something to almost all of our rooms to to make it an effective rollout. Well, let me let me tell you what I'm thinking about, and you can tell me what. What what your reaction to this is? We're working with a company called Touch It Technologies, which is <laughs> I, listen. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not I'm not trying to be a comedian here. Um, it's better than Touch Me Technologies. So what they have are LCD and LED monitors that connect to whatever computer you want via HDMI, and they have a USB connection. So you can install this wherever you want. Um, and you and you interact with them by touching them, you know, up in front of the room. Yeah. And so they're actually, if we look at what we're spending on a smart board and a projector, these are less expensive than those two devices. And see, if I if I had experience with an all-in-one device, I may be a little bit more apt to these. But this this year, and this happened to be the most recent experience. Uh, we have an eight-year refresh cycle on our projectors. Well, this year we're, we're you know in the past three or four years I think we've been moving everybody to widescreen because you're know, sixteen by nine, sixteen by ten. Well, all of our smart boards are still four by three, <laughs> so I'm still buying <laughs> yeah. widescreen projectors and you know cropping them and and you know doing the quick the 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 quick corner and and just total destroying the original image just to no. make them fit yeah. on these stupid ignorant whiteboards and that's because you guys wisely have decided not to go with the 21 inch three thousand dollar symposium you know or something wow. like that yeah. which which we which we ended up doing at Bates because we use only symposiums not the actual smart boards and and their widescreen it takes up three quarters of our podium to begin with yep. and it's just ridiculously expensive 
Yeah, we tried one of those too and had the same problems. The the problem we've had with those tablets is is getting them to ma- f- finding a way to mount them in some way that people are happy with them, that you can actually use it in a way that multiple people will like. You know, some want it to stand up, some want it to sit down. You know, what piece? What what piece of furniture do you put it on? Something up high like a lectern or down on top of a tabletop? Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm hoping that these panels on the wall are going to be successful because it gets the teacher away from behind the podium. They're out in front of the room. There's no projector out on an arm. It's, it's a monitor. Yeah. I'm going to install my first one of those uh, probably in the next week or so, interactive and, projectors. And mm-hmm. I, I will say that as far as our, uh, our symposiums, which we do a bit of, we do put those on uh, articulating arms so the instructor has a bit of a range of motion. But I absolutely, Scott, agree with you that having you know like an 80 inch uh, LED, uh, you know LED or LCD uh, on the wall is the way to go. We've we are actually really looking at that. We have a class of rooms we call a seminar room, which were all smart boards. And from a support perspective, they have not been the greatest. So we're we've been looking at uh, both the Sharp and I think you know the uh, not the Panasonic. I think Samsung had one as well that we were looking at. But the idea of actually being able to touch it rather than being forced to use a stylus is something we're really interested in. Right. Um, now, Tim, back to your, your initial question, how were sales up 22% uh, on these boards? Yeah. That was, that was in the UK. Oh, okay. Well, they, uh, they're actually down in the US. They're just but, weird over the, there. <laughs> well, and they did also say in the article there that yeah. this was the first growth in seven years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that kind of, um, that's where the whole thing kind of. You know, confuse me. Fifteen <laughs> or twenty a year for the for the last seven years, and all of a sudden they sold twenty eight or something like that. Yeah. You know, but I, I I think if Sharp or whoever owns Sharp in a year uh, <laughs> can get the get the price down on the eighty and the ninety inch uh, boards, those are going to be huge in our space he because cares. for your twenty seat or less room, that is a phenomenal solution. And how expensive are those now? Um, the the eighty inch is about seven thousand. Yeah, six seven six seven thousand. Uh, the ninety inch is, I think, closer to thirteen or fifteen, something like that. So that one, I don't consider that affordable quite yet. But the the eighty inch is at a price point that it's actually comparable with uh, the smart. Uh, board and uh, projector all in one solution. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, and you can project it. I mean, that's the neat thing about well, those yeah. things. You can also yeah. put them in. That's that. That's the thing. I think some people are not always thinking about. It's it's not just a small classroom um, application. You can put one of those in a big auditorium and plug it into the projector. Yeah, that is true. Project it is big as as big as you want you know that's that's actually where we've talked about it more so than the small rooms yeah all right uh next up is from fast company and this is uh, this is technology in, in the classroom but it's also classroom technology outside of the classroom if that made any sense to anybody um this is about Coursera, uh, Coursera which is a, a website but it's also a bigger story and that is the fact that with Stanford and with a bunch of other uh, colleges that are offering free courses to literally hundreds of thousands of people at a time, 
Where does that leave us, AV guys? And, and I ask that because this is one of the stories that kind of grabbed me over the last month or so. It's a pair of uh, Stanford professors who have stopped being professors at Stanford, which uh, if you're uh, in the faculty world, Stanford, I would guess, would be somewhere in the neighborhood of the Yankees, right? Um, Boo. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you're in the Northeast. Who is your team? The Red Sox. Oh, that's right. That is closer to you, isn't it? Okay. I thought it was like the Alaskan Huskies or something. Um, don't, disparage their, don't disparage their sports teams. They are obviously in desperate need of some uh, healthy hobbies up there. Yes. Just don't ever mention that the pinstripes again on this All right. broadcast. Well, what for me is the Cardinals. So, you know, there, there you go. Um, but you it, beat them in 2004. Yes, you did. On our home team. On our home field. So um, Let's talk about hockey. And I insert, you know, chirps so there is no hockey um this is something that is is is, is kind of is a shift and the story goes it's a pretty long story but it, it goes on to describe uh a handful of people the guys at, at fast company uh did a skype interview with all these people and they are literally all over the world there's a 16 year old kid from greece uh there's a couple of people from the u.s talking about learning uh computer engineering and, and computer mechanics um through these free courses and I say free so here's here's where I'm going to go in with this whether that is the fact that George Mason or UCLA or Bates or, or Lewis and Clark gives away free courses or you guys you know in in your next iteration uh, in the AV world uh, start working for Casera or the other uh, uh, companies that are mentioned in the article where does that leave us what what exactly are we to do, I guess. What is our job function in an environment where, you know what, we don't have to have an interactive whiteboard. We don't have to have a Crestron control system. Uh, but we there is a function, and I guess my question to you guys is, what is our function in a world where it's online and that's where uh, that's where we go? Greg, is it, I'll, I'll start with you on that. What is what is our function in this sort of classroom? I I don't think we really know where that sort of classroom is going to go yet because one of the things they they touch on briefly in there but they really don't talk much about it is nobody knows how the credit end of things is going to work out with these things. And, you know, most of our kids, they're not here to learn. They're here for the diploma. Newsflash. <laughs> um, and, and so, yes, a lot of people who previously – did not have access to information are going to be learning a lot of new, neat, great stuff. God bless them. But as far as us in, in higher ed, there's a whole bunch of stuff there yet to be figured out, you know, as before, before I, I see this. There's this gap in between all these neat ideas and, you know, us in the great big pretty stone buildings over here on the other side. And I'm I'm not quite sure where that that how that divide is going to be crossed. Yeah. Matt, do we have a place in this in this online learning world? Absolutely. I mean, and I think our place is actually very close to where it is today in the sense that. This speaks only to one type of learning style, and you, you yeah. have to be able to learn like this. And that I don't, I, I, I don't have any numbers I can quote, but 
it's not going to eliminate the classroom. It's not going to eliminate in-person teaching. It's not going to eliminate collaborative experiences. It'll give people access to knowledge who wouldn't have had it, which is a phenomenal thing. But it doesn't necessarily disrupt the model to the point that, you know, we're now making buggy whips. Uh, <laughs> wow. And so buggy whips are us. Thank it's goodness, a good cause... thing because I don't know what a buggy whip is. <laughs> Scott Damn stole my kids joke. these days. But um, no, it, 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 I don't I don't think this obsoletes our industry. What I think it does is opens a new one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, Mr. Mr. Tyner there, um, all kidding aside, you are in the in the great northeast um, and you're in Maine. So we've talked about this before that you've got a, a wide area where, you know, the next uh, college around you to take graduate work or postgraduate work is quite a ways away. So colleges like Stanford or maybe even Bates would, would offer this. Where does that put guys like you and me in helping these people, you know, get the next degree? Well, I I, th- I think that Matt, you know, has, has hit part of this on the head, nail on the head with this is that um, this it's not just a specific type of learner this is, affects. It's a specific type of student even. And, you know, the students that we read about in these articles um, are students who are really interested in learning something and really motivated. And you might get a lot of kids in colleges, even, you know, decent colleges like, like Bates or Stanford, who come here not enormously motivated. And that's part of the job of the college is to get them to find something that they love and to study it. Um, you know, so I'm, you know, I also see there and I go, okay, Scott. Because I'm, you know, got the same question you do, Tim. I'm saying to myself, "Does my job exist in ten years?" Yeah. And so, don't. And I'm telling myself, "Don't be foolish and say, of course it has to.' Um, you know, really think through it. And I, and I really think there's a number of reasons. Um, you know, let's not be. I'm not trying to be silly here, but college sports is probably one of them that argues for <laughs> brick and mortar campuses. Um, and I actually saw a really interesting article. I'm not going too far off here. The other day about how we should actually let students major in sports. It'd be an hmm. interesting interesting topic someday hmm. for a different uh webcast. So I, I think it I think it's gonna change. I think it is is gonna change some schools like Bates. I don't think Bates or any any of these brick and a lot of these brick and mortar schools are gonna go away. But we're gonna use some of the stuff from Coursera. I took a course in Coursera and this is, you know, me, right? I signed up for it and never went once. <laughs> <laughs> Which you. is the beauty of it. You didn't waste any money. I, I didn't waste any money, but you know it. It's also, um, I think it's really great to have this open education. I'm a big supporter of you know free open education, but I I don't see how it's going to replace um, the the college degree. And you know I think part of what we may find out 20 years from now is the idea of what a bachelor's degree is has completely changed. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a very complex issue. I'm signing up for a class right now that I'll never take. So, <laughs> uh, I think if we want to get into sort of the, the the future guessing game, there, I think where this is probably going to lead is we're going to start talking more about um, measuring how much people actually learn, and also what sort of jobs they get after college, because you know based on we, what they learned, yeah. Yeah, you know, we crank out a ton of econ majors 
um, many of whom are sort of, you know, asking you if you need paper or plastic with that. And they, they, there was an old joke years ago about journalism majors. Uh, I say that, you know, really close to a, a major, uh, a, a master's in, in mass communications, uh, about, you know, you could be, you know, uh, a journalist, or you could, you know, ask exactly that. You want fries with that. Yeah. Right. So. Right. All right. Right. And, and you, you, right, you want to be, and Tim, you, you're sensitive to this, obviously, because, you know, 10 years ago, I'm sure there's lots of people going, the newspaper industry, it's never going to have any problems. People are always going to need newspapers. Maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, they, the writing yeah. was on the wasn't ten, it? 10 years ago is when they started writing the papers that said, the death of the newspaper. So um, a couple real quick one, guys, and we'll get out of here. Um, Matt, we're going to start with you. We are, uh, most of us at least, I think all, all four of us, are getting ready to head into our winter break. It's a good time to check your systems. Make sure it's work. Make sure everything still works while the faculty are away. Um, this, the, the story that kind of kicked this off is from AV Network. We'll put a, a, a link to it. What do you guys do to make sure that your stuff is still working? What is your system training regimen? Like, do you have a, a checklist? Do you have, this is what comes with every kit that I give my guys that go out and test. What do you guys do? Um, we, we actually look at this at two places. The first place is, um, what is it called? Uh, when we actually build the system, we have a very detailed uh, commissioning uh, checklist to verify everything worked day one. Uh, from a follow-up perspective, um, I believe it's once a week our operations managers uh, do a room check where they check uh, consumable levels as well as just do a basic routing functionality test. And then uh, both once and then in January and then in uh, August, we actually have a checklist we do per room for a more thorough test. And it also looks at some of the environmentals, like is the room clean, are all the chairs there, and things of that nature. Oh, okay. So you check all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Tyner, do you, uh, do you hang out during the, the winter or do you go off and do something else? Well, this is one of the wonderful things working at Bates is that uh, between Christmas and New Year's, we close down. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and we are we are told go Same home, here. and it's a it's a free vacation. Wow. But um, we do do some things. We don't do quite the the deal that Matthew has. We've got seventy five rooms on our campus. Um, you know we're all within you know f- you know surrounded by four city streets, and so um, it's a small campus. So here we look at this one of two ways. Our rooms get tested about eight times a day, mm-hmm. um, and we so we know if there's something wrong with them because we hear about it. Um, the other piece is that um, we will go into a room because I believe is that, like Matt said, we'll go into a room during the break, check the lamp life, make sure that you know nobody's knocked the projector, do a basic look over of the room, um, and we make sure it looks neat and clean. I am a firm believer that if you walk into a space and it looks like a mess, you're going to treat it like a mess. Yeah. Um, and so we we do that. We do check that out. Um, it it amazes me. There was a. Uh, back and forth on a listserv that I'm on the other day, and and there was a uh, one of one of our colleagues at I'm guessing a very large university said they have a student go through every one of their classrooms every morning. Wow! And I was exactly, and and I was like, wow, I I I'd, I'd love to talk to that person about that because it it it's um. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, for starters. Uh, must but it be just nice seemed, to have a budget. It <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, 
Well, I look at it one of two ways, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm joking around. So if this person's listening, because I don't even know who you are, but if the person's listening, <laughs> I'm, I'm only half making fun. Of you, which is number one: if you've got that many problems, you might want to reassess what you're doing. Um, and number two is: is it worth the money? You know, so if you're finding that many problems, which is the only way it'd be worth the money. You need to figure out why you're finding that many problems, and if you're not finding any problems, then gosh, that's a lot of money you're spending. Yeah. Although, did you say it was a student or an actual worker? They hire they hire students to do it. No, well, you know, they're students. They're they're disposable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last but not least, guys, uh, this comes to us from a, an interesting site. Huh? Greg has. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Greg. What do you well, do? I mean. Dude. Um, as far as the the regular inspections, yeah, we we try and send students through um, typically every quarter. Um, they'll be doing that a bunch here um, during the break. You know, going through, make sure the, you know, there's a backup light in the overhead projectors and things like that, a backup lamp, and um, but yeah, it's it's all students as far as like uh, hardcore stuff. You know, we. I'm, I'm. We we build our stuff in house. We're a crew of three, and one of those three is my maintenance guy. So, we we literally don't try to get back to rooms for years in many cases if we can avoid it because we just don't. We don't have the time. The time, yeah. You know, with two two hundred rooms, you know. Well, that makes sense, and that's it's kind of we, we we do kind of a hybrid of this. Uh, every summer is is our our check everything. That's when we do our refreshes for. Projectors, but then we have um, you know content management uh, in inside most of the rooms, and so that's kind of what I, I figure that's what that's there for, right? That's what room view or or global viewers for yeah. is to tell you when there's a problem, uh, and then of course you also have you know the irate professor that couldn't get his projector on at seven o'clock in the morning, and you're on your way to work. So not that that happened this morning or anything. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Hypothetically, hypothetically, speaking. this has been an interesting year, guys. Um, Scott, we'll start with you. This is—I I found this website uh, looking for stories for this month. It's called Hack HackEducation.com. They've got all kinds of, of good education, uh, technology, and education. Great blog. Yeah, a um, couple stories that I kind of uh, just kind of wrote down with the Apple iBooks, uh, the new software that came out in what was it, January? I think January, February. Um, the whole BYOD, the bring your own device, that was kind of this year for that. What was the, the big story for you, uh, Mr. Tyner, for 2012? Well, I think that this is, um, this is me, that it's about. And for us, it's been about um, course capture and, and video streaming. Those are two things that uh, Bates has been um, – waiting to see succeed other places uh but has this year uh jumped on it um full force and then it it's it's been the biggest thing that we've had to deal with in 2012 very good uh mr silverman what was your your big thing for 2012 mm. incremental growth um it's really there wasn't anything radical that we did this year or that I've been involved with, but everything we've been doing on has been, you know, iterative design improvements or just little changes to make the environment better. So that's kind of been our theme. Mr. UCLA, what was uh, one or two things on, on your list for this year? Um <clears throat> uh... I I liked um, I, I liked Matt's answer. I mean, it's almost a 
we're, we're, we're almost inside, it's, it's sort of this world of, we, we got all sorts of stuff going on that we don't know quite how it's going to shake out, you know, how we, we don't have BYOD figured out, you know, what's going to, how, how are we going to deal with uh, iPads, how are we going to deal with iPads wirelessly, um, course capture, yeah, like, uh, like Scott mentioned, I mean, there's a, there's a huge growth area. Um, what's I, I heard something recently where they were talking about um, the the next big thing in course capture. Once they really get the um, um, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, this the voice recognition side of things down is that we're going to be able to do uh, course capture and indexing where all of the the topics and things will essentially index themselves. I think that's going to be a huge game changer in that world. And, you know, we talked about these, these free courses and stuff like that. And so almost, almost touched on the, the, the MOOCs as they're calling them now, these massively open online courses, which, you know, sort of tangential to the stuff we were talking about there with, with Coursera. But, you know, that, that seems to be one of the huge things everybody's talking about now. Um, there again also you know i don't i don't quite understand or trying to get my head around what's going on with those i mean you get a whole bunch of people together and you know they're not paying anything to learn anything and they don't get graded and they don't get any credit i mean call me a curmudgeon but we used to call those hobbies back a few years ago <laughs> um so you know there's there's a bunch of neat stuff in play i'm i'm kind of a, a reminded of the what what's the what's the the curse may you live in interesting times yeah yes. and i think if you're a higher ed av person congratulations you're living in interesting times congratulations you indeed are um for for me this was the year of digital and this is looking at uh, the 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 industry and education overall um because let's not be too um, silly here. The end of this year, what happens, gentlemen? The whole the the official analog sunset on December thirty first, the last of it, you know. Um, and so as we you know get on into digital, whether that's you know iPads and wireless you know video, or it's the fact that we have to have you know authentication everywhere that we didn't have to have ten years ago. Um, it, it is really the the fact that we are going to have to you know. Um, Make nice with digital, make nice with content protection, and and, and go from there. Uh, some of that is is bring your own device. Some of that is is some other stuff. But it really does kind of come down to content protection and making sure that that not our our not our bases are covered, but making sure that everything that that anybody can bring in can be shown on the screen or shown wherever they want it to be. So. That was all I had. Um, all right, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, with us has been Mr. Scott Tyner, uh, a, a brand spanking new blogger for the Rave Pub Blog Squad. Um, what have you written, like 10 so far? <laughs> I've written a couple. I've written two columns for the Ed, the Ed I Tech I thought you wrote another one the other day. Uh, yeah, I, well, two, there, there's, I write the columns for Ed Tech, and then I, then I also follow up on those with blogs. Oh, very good. Okay. So tell people how they can find you. Uh, you have a Twitter account now as well, so I do. I'm I'm at S Tyner S T I N E R. As you can you can find me on there, and um, I try to I try to keep up with my tweeting. 
It's it's a good. I, I don't know if it's a good pastime. It's 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 a it's a hobby. He, he obviously has some questionable pastimes. It's, so I think we should encourage a, the tweeting. It's, it's a hobby, like like Mr. Brown said. Uh, that guy over there on the West Coast is Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA. How can people find you or or harass you there, sir? Uh, also tweet at AV Greg and can be found LinkedIn and also uh, blog along with a bunch of much more intelligent people than I at uh, Infocom's All Voices blog. Yes. Uh, and also, last but not least, Mr. Matthew Silverman from George Mason University. Uh, how can people find you, sir? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at msilverm, though I really haven't tweeted in quite some time. And my blog at this point is really stale, so yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, but you also have the knowledge base, too. <laughs> I do have the knowledge base, uh, avbach.com. Uh, um, avbach.com. Yes. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you would, I, I don't tweet much, but I do tweet some. Uh, it, that is T-D, Tim David Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, but more importantly for me and, and for all the guys here, uh, go by the website, uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this podcast and a whole list of others. We have a live uh, staging event. We have a DIY one, and all of us also the uh, the weekly AV week. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and and all the other ones. So, thank you so much for listening. That is all the time we have for EdTech. <laughs>